0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian, who's out on the road, talking with a bunch of farmers about today's topic, prepay. There are some risks to prepaying early. There are certainly some benefits as well, and this year, maybe just a little bit different because when you think about prepay this year, and you can comment on this, Brian, uh, when you call dealers up and they say, we don't have anything or we're not taking prepay or all the rules have changed. That makes people nervous when they've done business the same way for many years. So what's so different about this year and what do farmers need to know?
1: All right. So I've been a full-time agronomist for over 30 years now. And the way that our industry has always worked prior to this year is basically every retailer out there can prepay with a manufacturer and lock in a price until this year. And now the manufacturers are saying, well, yeah, you can prepay with us, and that's great, and we'll give you a discount, but we're not going to guarantee the price until the product shows up at your door. And so, like, my question to the retailers, or to the manufacturers, I'm sorry, has been, well, what's, what's changed? I mean, why can't you guarantee anything? And their excuse is, Logistics is a big thing because they don't know logistics costs. But, you know, if it's something that's going to be produced for this spring, they have to have already gotten the raw materials, you would think. But in their defense, I will say there are lots of rising costs, everything from labor to energy, you name it. But the fact of the matter is manufacturers simply are not guaranteeing price to retailers until it shows up at their door. So what retailers are turning around and doing is saying, look, Mr. Farmer, I'm sorry, but we only have so much of this product on hand. If you want it, take it home and here's your price. If you uh, don't want to take it home or you don't want to book it or whatever, then you can give us prepay and we'll give you a discount for that, but we can't lock in anything for you because we're at the mercy of the manufacturers and they're all telling us they won't lock in a price. So it's, To me, a little bit crazy that basically there's no hedge. So think about like grain. If you want to pre-sell your grain, there is the Chicago Board of Trade. So you can deal with that and you're done. Well, there isn't such a thing for Ag Chem or with fertilizer. So you need to either take possession or you need to work something out with your retailer to get the stuff on hand at the retailer's store. And then you can lock in your price. It to me is crazy because we've never, ever seen anything like this before, but that's what the change is.
0: Well, with Ag Chemicals, that's a big change. When we look at seed, though, it's much the same as it's always been. And when you think about it, seed for the United States is grown in the United States. And that takes away a lot of the shipping issues and and those types of supply chain problems that pop up. So I I love that. At least growers are feeling pretty confident that, okay, I can find the seed that I want. It was grown locally for the most part and, right. and I can lock yep. that in and I, I can either take it now if I want to or, or I can have it delivered once it gets processed because a lot of it hasn't even been processed yet.
1: Right, exactly. So yeah, seed is really the same and fertilizer is mostly the same. I, I mean, there's retailers take tremendous risk with fertilizer though. I don't I don't understand that, but they go buy product, bring it in and they don't have it sold yet and they have no hedge on it either. So to me, that seems a little crazy and super risky, but that's kind of the way the fertilizer business has always been. Anyway, as far as I know, not a whole lot has changed with fertilizer other than this. For some retailers, they're saying, well, we're not sure we're gonna be able to get the product, so we're not going to let you even buy it or price it or anything until we actually get it. So that, that would be one potential change Generally speaking, if a retailer says, Oh, I want to bring in 50,000 tons, they can. There's no problem, but not this year. Now, by spring, do I think that we will have lots of supply of fertilizer and egg chem? Yes, I do. I do not think there's going to be a problem in terms of supply. The problem is going to be the price. What price are you going to have to pay? So that's why we've been talking a lot with farmers about. What they can do to switch out of, let's say, Roundup or Liberty on the chem side, products that are three times what they were last year. Or maybe how do I cut back on fertilizer on that fertility side because the fertilizer prices are so high. So that's where we talk so much about soil testing and making sure we know what's actually in the ground so we know what we should put on the ground next.
0: The other thing, Brian, that we talked a little about chem and seed and fertilizer, get a lot of questions on equipment. And as I've traveled around and talked to different farmers, they've said, what what have you heard from equipment dealers in your area? And for the most part, it's, man, you got to order stuff way in advance. And I know around harvest time, there were guys that finally got parts they ordered around planting time. So if you need equipment, I would say it would be a good idea to get after it right away and communicate with your dealer all the way through because there are some supply things that are pretty tight, if not uh, already sold out for next spring.
1: Yes. And that too kind of comes back to one or two components. They might be sitting there because they need something for the GPS or whatever it is. It's it seems a little bit crazy, but that's what's happening. We're having logistical issues and supply issues with just a few little things, and it's the same reason why certain ag chemical products can't get made because they're missing one of the components, whereas they have everything else. All the other inerts and raw materials, they got all that. They're just missing one thing. So, yeah, it's a little bit challenging right now, but I'm still super optimistic about this coming year. I think the, I think the prospects look good for the farm, good yield potential, got good genetics. I think 2022 is going to be a great year, but you just want to try to get your inputs secured and locked in as soon as possible.
0: And about this time of year, there's a lot of meetings. I know I've got friends who are accountants and they get quite busy with farmers talking about, all right, let's figure out exactly where we're at and look at what might be beneficial for tax reasons for me to pay before my fiscal year end, which for many farmers is December 31st. So we're going to talk about prepay and things you might want to prepay and you might not want to prepay and some of the risks and also benefits of doing so we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD you can always email us radio at agphd.com stay tuned we'll be right back
2: what do you think of when you hear palmer amaranth or water hemp?
3: Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our
4: 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com.
3: important news bulletin this just in from live action news innovation has come to the world of burndown new elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds even glyphosate and als resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit talk with your retailer about elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown
0: Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio and talking about prepay and the risks and benefits of such. Brian was talking just a little bit about how things have changed with ag chemicals and it's not the same as it's been for the last 30 years or at least as long as we can remember how dealers would take prepay money and uh, you wouldn't really worry about getting the supply. Now it's, boy, you better take the supply with you to make sure that you have it, because we might run out and there might be a shortage and we don't know what the price is going to do. The price might change between now and then. So that that's a little bit of the uncertainty, but there are a lot of things that are certain and a lot of things that, that will happen year after year. Uh, i got Paul Neef around with us right now. He is a CPA and kind of specializes in this thing for agriculture, so it's good to have folks like that around. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
5: You're welcome. Thanks,
0: Darren. Oh, also, if you say, Oh, I recognize Paul's name, where do I know that name from? Well, Paul hosts the Farm CPA podcast. So, good time to tune into that program as well and, and check out all the details and, and how things might be the same and might be changing this year. So, Paul, a lot of nervousness out there with the supply issues and some of the rule changes around Ag Chem, at least as far as what Ag Chem dealers are offering to their growers. But I'm assuming there's still a lot that's the same and a lot of considerations that would be just like they were every year before
5: yeah you know certainly from a tax standpoint on your prepaid farm expenses at the end of the year uh, those rules really haven't changed you know you still have to have a purchase not a deposit I, I think some of the errors that we find is on those invoices it says deposit instead of you know you're supposed to be you know buy whatever the chemical is the quantity the price per per quantity or item whatever it might be and then an extension. So that's that definitely hasn't changed. Matter of fact, that revenue ruling has been around now for almost 45 years. It was issued uh, back in 1979.
0: Now, for farmers, uh, I know there's been a lot of guys that I've talked to that say, man, I don't have a heated shop or I don't want to bring pesticides home and store them in an area where my kids are going to be running around, that kind of thing. I would assume there's some exceptions in terms of taking possession of product that, that could be out there. But in terms of actually buying it, you definitely have to speak for the quantities and the products that you want.
5: Right, right. You don't physically have to take delivery of it. You just have to have an invoice that says, "Okay, whatever this pesticide is, this chemical, we're buying this number of gallons at this price per gallon and then the extension. So the the dealer that that holds that chemical, that's fine as long as it then gets delivered to the farmer and they actually use it uh, during that 2022 crop, so to speak.
0: Sure, sure. Now I know at, at grain elevators there's a lot of last minute business that seems to happen, guys. All of a sudden, about December 30th or 31st, figure out. Oh no, I need to take a little more income, and they're hauling grain in at the absolute last minute, uh, or they're hauling grain in thinking they need the money, and then all of a sudden say, wait a minute, I have to defer that payment until after. Uh, what do you What do you see with that this year, are guys? Ahead of things on the bookwork, or is it just like always that there's some people that are just kind of run right down? under the wire i think
5: a little bit of both i I think with the fact that you know we've had this turmoil i'm going to use the word turmoil in congress as far as new laws that a lot of farmers have been aware of that and they've been uh, doing the sales on the deferred payment contract you know where they sold it this year but they're going to take the cash in january of 2022 we really like that because then we can bring that income into 2021 if we need to uh, so I would say there's a little bit more of that. Um, but as usual, when we're dealing with farmers or other business owners, there's always that last minute rush. You know, you sort of wait until the deadline, just like Congress. you got to have a deadline
0: uh,
5: before you get something done. Yes, so, uh, yes, you you do. know, there's a little bit of that going
0: on. <laughs> well, we call that deadline here snow and freezing weather, too. It's amazing how much work gets done that last week once snow gets in the forecast for us. OK, uh, back to more interesting things from this year. PPP and, and all these payments that were out there, whether it's for businesses, for farms, for uh, others, I know that created a lot of questions. I'm sure that, that kept you busy this year. What what do we need to know about that? And is there anything uh, for farmers who did take PPP payments that they need to be aware of? Well,
5: th- yeah, the good news is that the PPP loan forgiveness is tax-free. All the expenses related to that PPP loan forgiveness, you know, the labor, Uh, the rents, the interest, uh, whatever it might be, all that's 100% deductible. Some farmers last year actually maybe didn't do the deduction. They're now allowed to do the deduction this year. That would apply on maybe some of your fiscal year taxpayers. The other thing that we get a question on fairly often is there'll be some state incentives or the CFAP or any of that type of revenue that came in. That's always taxable. The only thing that really for farmers that was non-taxable is that PPP loan forgiveness. Also, you can't defer that to the following year like you can with crop insurance. So those are some of the key details that farmers need to know.
0: Ah, you brought up my next topic, crop insurance, disaster payments. There are some, some folks this year that didn't have good luck and uh, ended up getting a check rather than a crop, which sounds good, but it's no fun, believe me. So how do those things get accounted for?
5: Yeah, so on on crop insurance, if it's related to damage related to yield, not the price component, because most of the crop insurance these days is what we call a revenue protection policy. It's a combination of price and yield loss. Uh, The yield loss component, that can be deferred. The price component, and again, your crop insurance company will provide that information to the farmer. That price component can't be deferred. Now, this assumes the farmer's a cash basis farmer, and they normally – sell more than 50% of their crop in the year after harvest. So as long as they meet those definitions, they can elect to defer it to the following year, but it's only for one year. Now, in your area especially, or more in maybe Western Dakotas and so on, there, there are a lot of farmers were collecting WIP plus payments. Now, the WIP plus payments would be deferrable, but it's only for the year of damage that you can elect to defer it for a year. So all the WIP plus that I'm aware of right now is 18 and 19, Therefore that can't be deferred. So if you collect it in 2021, you have to pay taxes on it in 2021. Also prevent plant automatically qualifies for that one year deferral in almost all cases. So, you know, if there, if there was too much rain in the springtime, you're able to defer that for one year.
0: All right. That's all interesting uh, information. And, and obviously a lot of farmers have different situations right now. But one, one thing we get questioned on a lot, Paul, is how much can I prepay? And I guess what, what we were told growing up from our dad is he said, well, you can prepay up to half of your expenses for next year, including labor. Uh, has that changed or is that about right? No.
5: It, and actually it includes all non uh prepaid expenses. So, you include your depreciation. So, if you bought a new tractor for $300,000, you get to include that. If you took bonus on it, it's labor. It's all the non-prepaid type expenses. So, you add all those up, multiply it by 50%. That's the maximum amount you can deduct. Now, you're also able to maybe go over that excess if you uh, increase your farm operation. You know, you went from 3,000 acres up to 7,000 acres you'd be able to prepay more expenses for that following year. So it's
0: 50%,
5: but it's all the expenses on your Schedule F, excluding the prepaid farm expenses. So it can add up to be a pretty good-sized number.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a lot of a lot of different well, here's the here's the good and the bad about farming. There's tons of expenses. So it's good to understand <laughs> yeah. these rules and and understand how to utilize those things to help you under taxes and and honestly people say, "Oh, I don't know, you're pushing the law." No, that's why there is a law. You're encouraged to do yeah. some of these things and and hey, if your expenses are high, all that money's going out into the economy and that's a good thing for a lot of people.
5: Yeah, and it's all right in the code. I mean, this isn't uh Uh, this is right in the Internal Revenue Code as far as that 50% number, and it it includes all those other expenses. Now, the revenue ruling, again, that was from 1979, uh, but that really hasn't changed. That's been in effect since then. So this is really tried-and-true law, really.
0: Paul, we really appreciate all this advice, and I know you host the Farm CPA podcast as well. you want to give a little plug for your podcast and why people might want to tune in?
5: Sure. So it's it's designed to... uh, really it's a conversation with farmers or other in the industry related to ag. It typically comes out every Tuesday. It's available on both uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also I am a columnist on uh, Top Producer and it's available over on AgWeb. So you can get it on AgWeb, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on. And uh, I enjoy talking to farmers and people like you.
0: Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, Again, we're talking with Paul Niefer. Paul is a CPA based out of the state of Washington and hosts the Farm CPA Podcast. We encourage you to check that out. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today.
5: You're welcome. Thanks, Darren. Bye-bye.
0: Talking about prepay, talking about the risks and the benefits on today's Ag PhD program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It came in waves. Ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields.
4: Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions.
3: Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out Can-Do Financing on Case IH tractors and Hay Tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, Premium Comfort Vestrum, and versatile Workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet.
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD soils clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other agphd events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
4: The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms a competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more always read and follow all label directions.
6: Authority Edge herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva Agriscience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, Sure Start 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at PowerOverWeeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide.
0: listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and our discussion is around the topic of prepay and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com in. That was a great start with Paul Neifer but we've got Charles Brown coming on right now from Iowa State with more to add to the topic. Charles, thanks for joining us. You bet.
7: Good, good to with you
0: you know, when it comes to farming, I love raising the crops, but it's all those management things that can be kind of tough sometimes. And, and some of the paperwork that uh, is super important. My dad talked about this a lot. He said, guys, he goes, if you want to be successful, you got to make money with the pencil, not just with your back. So what are some of those smart things, Charles, that the guys need to be thinking about as we get towards the end of the year?
7: Well, this time of the year, farmers are visiting their uh, tax repairs and doing some pre-tax planning and and of course as you all know the thing that farmers hate to do is pay taxes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's for
0: sure that's for sure well and, and it isn't even so much doing the bookwork, but it's just you're right uh, having to having to give up that cash that you work so hard to get because you know with farming we do have some advantages and uh, certainly uh, cash accounting system is is a big advantage farmers have.
7: It is and the case accounting the to uh, help manage taxes, and I always say manage because uh, I don't think it's good to take things to zero every year, but uh, they can prepay expenses, uh, seed, uh, fertilizer, uh, chemicals, uh, fuel. Uh, they, they can even prepay up to 12 months rent for the coming year if, if they're gonna be renting farm ground. But uh, some of the, the tax laws that affect that, uh, uh, again, you can't prepay just to avoid taxes. There has to be a business reason for doing so such as you're trying to lock in quantity or you're locked in a discount, uh, some of those things. Uh, uh, also you want to be careful who you do business with because uh, if you uh, prepay for a seat, for example, and you don't have it delivered and that person goes out of business for whatever reason, uh, you're basically lost out. <laughs> uh, so be careful who that you do do business with and in those circumstances. Uh, and uh, you can't just make a deposit Uh, again i i know it's done but uh, sometimes you walk into your uh, feed dealer and you got a large livestock operation you lay a check down for a hundred thousand i'll say i'll be back next year to figure out what i what i purchased Uh, uh, that is not legitimate you're supposed to have a receipt in hand uh, saying what you purchased uh, the quantity you bought and and so on in order to make it a legitimate prepaid expense
0: yeah, that is a great tip, and I know Paul Nefer kind of made the same comment, just came at it a little different direction, but uh, you're absolutely right. You really have to have an invoice, and it's got to be detailed with, with what's happening. Not that you can't switch later on. I, I know I've talked to farmers this year, Charles, that say, I'm still running the numbers between corn and soybeans or another crop, and man, there are a lot of profit opportunities for guys heading into this this next cropping season. It looks like it could be a good year. Yeah.
7: And you're you're correct. Uh, for example, if you uh, uh, you bought anhydrous, for example, prepaid, and you switch to liquid nitrogen, uh, you know you can do that. Uh, you bought seed corn, and for whatever reason you can't get planted, you switch to beans. Uh, uh, you can switch that, uh, uh, but you couldn't switch uh, buying beans to a new tractor, for example.
0: No, no. It's it's a, a big process and farmers are always looking for good advice. We really appreciate having you on. Again, we're talking with Charles Brown here with Iowa State University who specializes in farm management. Uh, we talked just a little bit about being careful who you do business with and anytime I see really high prices like right now with fertilizer prices just through the roof. It makes me nervous for the big fertilizer dealers because I remember back in 2008, there were two of the great big co-ops in Iowa that went broke that year when the fertilizer prices finally turned the other way. What do you see those big ag businesses doing to stay in business? It seems like they're getting smarter.
7: Well, I think they've they've learned over the years and and, you know, they watch their, their profit and losses, I think, better than what they probably used to. But, again, they got to be careful who they're buying their product from also because it may have been, you know, really legitimate. You paid them and they were going to get it in and all of a sudden they can't get it from their supplier too. So uh, that, that does make a difference. And it isn't just on the prepaid expenses. Uh, again, a lot of farmers to manage their income, they have deferred payment contracts. And if you have a deferred payment contract where you deliver the grain, you price the grain, uh not gonna take the money till next year, but if that co goes under for whatever reason, uh, you're a low man on totem pole and and you get paid last.
0: Yeah, it's certainly something to to be aware of and to talk with your banker about too when you're making some of these decisions with grain marketing and uh, and others. Uh, when We've talked a lot about the grain side of things. What about the livestock operations, Charles? How, how are things a little bit different for them at the end of the year?
7: Well, for, for livestock, again, they can prepay for feed and, and some of those things. Uh, 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 having deferred income for livestock is a little bit problematic because uh, there's the packers, the stockyards, that you got to be paid within 72 hours. Uh, uh, so a little bit different there. Uh, again, I think on deferred payments, uh, I've had farmers say, well, I just, I just told the auction barn to hold my check. Uh, well, that really doesn't work. Uh, that's called constructive receipt of income. If you could have received the check and just didn't go pick it up, it still was income for this year. So are probably not quite as flexible on the livestock end as what is on the grain.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does make it a challenge with some of the rule differences. So at Iowa State, what are some of the things that, that you're doing there to educate growers? Are there seminars that growers can be a part of in groups?
7: Well, we, uh, from from the tax side of it, uh, uh, I do a, a tax webinar <clears throat> uh, every year around the first week of November or so with Christine Tigran, who's the director for Center for Hagan Law Taxation. And we talk about some of the changes in the uh, tax laws, the uh, uh, I do a few meetings around in my area here in southeast Iowa, uh, talking about farm taxes and estate planning. The, uh, the agronomists are putting together a program right now. Is <clears throat> you talk about the high fertilizer costs, uh, and then what they can do to manage fertilizer? What's the optimal amount of nitrogen to, to put on? If they're, if you know your soil tests and they're pretty high in P and K, do you really need to put on P and K this year, or can you maybe cut back and take a little out of the soil bank this year? So. Uh, yeah, there is various programs going on around the, around the state. Uh, I know Iowa State just finished up a uh, <clears throat> I forget the name of it right now, but it was a conference they did for talking about, uh, uh, about diseases and treatments and fer- fertilizing and such. It was a two-day conference they had up in Ames.
0: Well, you're right about that, the the Crop Diseases Conference. We get a lot of feedback from people uh, going to these these meetings uh, this winter talking about, wow, there's tar spot and there's other things that are hitting uh, this soybean gall midge larvae and and for growers that are looking at, I might have to prepay for a fungicide, never done that before. And you'd made comment, uh, or I should, I should say, that Paul Nefer had made some comments earlier. He said, if your farm size or situation on the farm is going to change, that, that could potentially allow you to, to increase and, and prepay just a little bit more. So it's... It's an interesting topic when you look at prepay, and it's something where uh, you have to definitely do some pre-tax planning. There's no question about it if you want to do the best job on this because it's a, it's a lot of money here that you're looking at for taxes if you made some profit on the farm this year. You want to be as wise as you can about when to pay them and, and how many exactly to pay. We're talking with Charles Brown here with Iowa State University. Uh, Charles, any last comments you've gotten?
7: Well, just a comment I would make that I think from a profitability standpoint, with the high cost of inputs going up here in 2022, even though crop prices are good, I think the margins are going to be probably somewhere than what they were in in 21. And uh, farmers really need to take a good look at their uh, management side of their farming operations and really take a look at their their crops and what they really do need need to put on and don't need to put on and, and look to see where maybe they can control some of those costs. Absolutely. uh, Wise words.
0: Charles, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Same to you. We're talking about prepay and the risks and benefits on today's Ag PhD program. We've kind of talked a lot about the benefits and I I love that Charles added in the comment, too. you got to be careful who you're doing business with, uh, whether that be somebody you're buying from or somebody you're selling to. Uh, you got to be smart about this thing because you've got dollars at risk there, too. if you've got questions, if you'd like to talk a little about prepay, our phone lines are open at 844 44 AGPHD. we have also got a number of questions that have been coming in for the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question you'd like to email us, it's radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use Fierce Herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fears to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail,
4: northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity with fast payback. An expanded application window
3: <sighs>
4: makes life simple and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltema Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltema Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, we've been talking about prepay and some of the benefits and risks. But we've got a number of questions in for the Ag PhD mailbag. We're going to dive in and, and take a few of those on. Uh, oh, so if your topic that you want to discuss is not necessarily prepay today, it's something else, that's totally fine. Uh, again, our phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. So, Brian, get this first question from Marion down in Nebraska. And Marion says, I saw you guys talk, talk about... Uh, large amounts of potash and other dry fertilizers that you put on in the fall. How do you get them down into the soil profile, and at what depth are you targeting with your P and K applications?
1: Okay, P and K. Honestly, I'd like to get them in the six to ten inch deep range most of the time, and here's why. Because what we find is a lot of people have really built up their top two to three inches, and some people all the way down to six inches deep. So we prefer to put stuff a little bit deeper. But honestly, in a lot of cases, if we are tilling the ground, we're not going super deep. We'll do some chisel plowing and stuff, but you know, a lot of our tillage isn't real deep. So we're, we're getting a lot of that P and K down three, four inches deep, maybe five, six, something like that. Uh, if we're strip tilling though, that's really where we can place it deeper. And like I say, I I'd, I'd prefer to get it into that six to 10 inch deep range you'll have roots going down that deep almost immediately. So I I, I don't worry that it's too deep or anything like that, like some people do. I wanna have it deeper for a couple reasons. One, it's protected. With phosphorus, our risk is not leaching, our risk is erosion. If we lose soil, we lose phosphorus and to some degree potassium too. So I don't wanna lose my phosphorus. Phosphorus is the number one water quality issue we have in the United States today. So we want to keep the water cleaner as well. That's why you want to put it down deeper into the ground. The other reason why I like P&K deeper is we have more moisture the deeper you get in the soil. So when we have a drought year, like the last couple of seasons, that's been really dry, then our fertilizer is where the water is. That's what we need. So anyway, yeah, we we do a lot of different things in the farm. We spread manure also and inject manure. But if we can, we're trying to get it at least down in the ground a little bit. So then it's much better protected. If we lay it on the surface of the soil with no tillage, we are at high risk for loss and we're also at high risk that it's not going to get used up now or even in the next few years.
0: Alright, thanks for the question, Mary, really appreciate this one. I uh, got this one from Larry. He's down in southern Arkansas and he said, guys, most of our land is precision leveled, so we row water, uh, water rice and soybeans, we rotate through rice and soybeans and some dryland wheat. Our precision graded land remains too wet for the wheat in the winter though. Yeah, we
1: talked about this the other day when you were gone, Darren, oh. and his question is tile, right? And will yeah, tile work Yeah,
0: would tile plug yeah. up yep. if he had it no, stopped?
1: No. No, no. So it, it it it's really not a problem. What I what I would say is with this drain tile in flooded fields, we don't really have any big issue. So you think about this. um, what, What we would encourage you to do is use a drainage water management system and shut those tile lines down when you want to flood the field and then you open it back up when you want to drain things out. I'm not worried that the tile line is going to plug or anything like that. It'll be just fine. So no real big concern. We really like drain tile and having that in there would help you drain things out a little bit faster. But when it comes to getting corn in the ground, because I think his question two had to do with corn planted in March versus getting it in in May, you're always at risk on those flat fields where if you get any rain, it's just hard to get out there. Tile only removes excess water. You can still have a field at field capacity for, for moisture, even though the water table's down. So if you keep getting little rains all through March, you still might not get your corn root. Re- Planted as early as you want, but this should give you your best shot. Yeah, I'd absolutely say putting tile in in that situation would work.
0: Alright, thanks for the question, Larry. Uh, this one comes to us from Chris and he said, I got a question about banding liquid fertilizer. We recently put a liquid fertilizer attachment on our planter. We're putting fertilizer three inches off the side of off each side of the row and about an inch or an inch and a half deep. Now we're planning on running our 32% nitrogen, ammonium thiosulfate, and boron combination, some at planting and then some at side dress. I'm wondering, could I also add a P and K source at the exact same time and put a complete blend of fertilizer out with the planter? My yield goal is 250 bushel yep. corn. I've got a lot of rented ground, and I'm wondering, could I just band it all at planting time? I've got heavy ground, 20 to 30 CEC five to eight percent uh i'm sorry uh organic matter five to eight percent as well
1: yes you could ban it all at planting time our biggest fear is going to be now granted you've split it so you're doing half on each side that helps a lot but our biggest fear is if little roots run into a heavy band of fertilizer and they get burned off so uh, that would be our concern and nitrogen and sulfur are probably our biggest worries So we've done that exact thing, what you're talking about, and put a good uh, band and a variety variety of fertility out there. That's all great. Just don't get real carried away on the nitrogen, especially that's usually what what gets a lot of guys. So what we had done in the past is we would do what you're talking about and then maybe side dress some nitrogen. So you can try this if you want and and put all your your stuff out there, but go do some digging around each summer and just see where that – fertilizer is, or I shouldn't even say summer, late spring after your crop gets growing and see if you've been burning any roots off. That'll tell you you got too much fertility in one spot.
0: All right. Uh, Thanks for that question. Get this one from Abdullah who says, we farm in West Africa in Ghana and we've got 3,000 acres. We've done soil sampling out there. We plan on putting 1,000 acres into corn this year. Uh, really appreciate your program and your tips on farming. Just wondering what suggestions would you have on the machinery necessary to purchase in order to ensure maximum yield on our corn? We'd love to have a list of what you feel would be the most important machines. Uh, if you're starting from scratch, what, what would you get first?
1: First thing I would buy is a planter. That's the one where, so if I had to hire everything else done, um, I'm not going to lose as much yield as if I have to hire the planting done. And the reason why is because you never have more yield potential than the day you put the seed in the ground. And your settings on the planter, when you choose to plant, um, the fertility that you put out while you're planting, the naturals or biologicals you put out while planting, I mean, all these things can have a pretty big impact on yield. So that would be the first machine that I would buy is a planter. Even if I had to rent a tractor, I would buy a planter and make sure that I've got it set up right, and I'd really be fussy when I'm planting. Uh, then after that, the second thing I'd buy is a sprayer, and the third thing I'd buy is a combine. But, they're I mean, they're all really important tools, and we own all of those, obviously, in our farm.
0: Yep, and it's really hard to buy them all at once for almost everybody in the world. Uh, so you kind of get in one at a time. But if you said, I'm going to buy used equipment, I'd, I'd buy the combine used, I'd buy a tractor used, uh, the sprayer. You want to have something decent, but you could get something decent that's been used. But the planter, uh, if you had a planter that was, was newer with some of the newer features on it, I think that would be the most uh, the beneficial one as well. Uh, then the other thing, Brian, is tillage. And I don't know where you're at in, in Ghana if that is going to be an important thing to do a lot of tillage out there or not. Again, here's something you could rent uh, or have somebody else do for you, but you just want to make sure you've got an even environment. So if you're doing the tillage, don't just look at the surface of the soil to see, oh, does it look beautiful on top, but scratch around underneath. So if you're tilling in six inches, for example, I would just take my arm and I'd sweep away that top six inches of loose soil after the machine runs through and see what kind of tillage floor there is. And that would be another topic to look up if you're getting started here producing corn. You want a nice even tillage floor underneath where you're going to, again, not have um, rises and falls that are going to change how that crop emerges and how it's going to be able to access moisture underneath. Hey, thanks for the question. I'm sure you're going to have more as you get going. Don't be afraid to to send them in to us again. Listening to Ag PhD Radio and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have a question, give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD.
6: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
0: How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300-bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
4: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at MortonBuildings.com.
3: Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors plus discover amazing rates on high capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season
0: welcome back you're listening to AG PHD radio right in the middle of the AG PHD mailbag time taking your calls and questions at 844 844- 44 ag PhD, or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. get this one from brian and he said guys uh you've mentioned some reasons to put fertilizer on with a corn planter uh, even if it slows you down a little bit at planting time with with filling and so forth but one reason i haven't heard you talk about before is that corn dries down faster in the fall if you put fertilizer out with the planter how often have you guys seen that and why do you think that is well, I, I will say...
1: One, oh. one to two points dry. Oh, start start over figure there, figure Brian. One, we figure one to two points drier in the fall, and that's because we pop the seed out of the ground a little quicker. That's why we say we like a little bit of in fertilizer as long as you're doing a low rate of a low salt product, you'll get faster emergence. With The faster emergence then leads to the, the crop being more mature at harvest time. In addition to that, it's, it's just getting that early start with fertility. Now the plant is uh, healthier earlier in the season, and so it's just, it's pushed along a little farther faster.
0: Yeah, I've noticed corn getting to tassel just a little bit sooner, and if we can do that, that's going to mean more times than not we're going to have a little drier corn at harvest time. So yeah, it is something we've noticed too, Brian, and uh, that's, that's why we believe it. So just getting a little faster start, uh, got a couple of comments that came in. Uh, this one came in, we were talking about no till and David said, uh, these practices really work at well in my, or work as well on my home garden. Hey, thanks David. We appreciate that. Yeah. If you're not doing tillage, you're not stirring up new weed seeds and that's often a good thing. And you're going to be a little better con- uh, conserver of water too. Uh, talking about grazing corn stalks the other day and got one from, from Damon. He said, I saw you guys talking about the grazing of corn stalks. I'm in southern Michigan. Now I know why people have cattle out in those fields. Thanks for putting that information out. I appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Damon. I uh, get another one about the grazing of cattle. This comes from TF. He said, thanks for talking about that. As a corn-on-corn grower in southern Manitoba, the number one question I get is, are the cattle still finding something out there? Well, even in February, they're still going out for a mile walk when they're eight months pregnant, which is incredible for calving in March. Although the cobs are long gone after four months, they're still pulling things out of the snow, basically anything that's edible out in the field. For us, the exercise before they go into labor far outweighs any crop disadvantages the next growing season. Hey, thanks, TF. We we appreciate that. I hadn't really thought about that with pregnant cows out there getting a little bit of exercise. Uh, that's probably not all bad either. Um uh, had a comment, Brian, we talked about augers versus belt veyers on the farm. And uh, Tom said, I agree, the soft touch of the belt veyers is important. Uh, And when you're harvesting specialty crops, it helps that crop look better as well, which is another benefit. And uh, Rusty said, years ago, a farmer might have one elevator for square bales, ear corn, and soybeans or shelled corn. Now, uh, you've got hay in big squares or round bales. The corn crib's now a tool shed, and he uses an auger or belt bayer or a pit and leg set up to store grain. My how times have changed in my 60 years. And thanks for the comment, Russ. You're right. Things have changed a ton on the farm, and I like Tom's comment there. you got to think about the grain quality, too. That ends up being a really, really big deal. All right, got this one in from Owen. He's in southwestern Ontario. He said, first of all, I'd like to say my dad and I have both been listening, watching, and following your shows for a long time and putting some of these things into practice. We've been in a no-till operation for the past 20 years, found our fertility levels, especially phosphorus, to be in the low to very low range. Now, to address this, we've changed our fertility program on the planter using 2x2, two two, as well as bulk spreading products like biosolids, compost, uh, and, and other things. After wheat, we're spreading the largest amounts of fertility And if we're able to inline rip and plant a cover crop, uh, we were unable to chemically terminate the cover crop this last fall due to weather and timing. Uh, The debate that we're having is I'd like to aggressively work this farm to put the nutrients down in the root feeding zone. Uh, The tool I'd be looking at would be a a Salford machine. He mentions a, a certain number and he said I believe we've got a good window in the early spring dad on the other hand wishes just to terminate the cover crop and strip till instead we're just curious what do you think that do you think the strip tiller will give us the full benefit out of the fertilizer that we have broadcast or do you think we should scrap the broadcast and just completely go strip till I know. Okay. It's it's one so of those big debates. Get- and whether it's brothers or uh, father-daughter or father-son kind of uh, argument, uh, you're right. There's there's some good things on both sides of that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And what Darren and I often do when we disagree on something is we just say, all right, let's just see. Let's do half a field of this and half a field of that. And we'll we'll continue that trial for maybe two or three years and just see what we think. So when I, I think about not terminating cover crops my concern is a drought year if you have a drought year you might suck up all the moisture early and then you you aren't able to get off to a good start and your crop can really suffer that way so especially if it's going to be dry that's when it's a good idea to terminate that cover crop in the fall as to this strip till question if you're going to strip till why don't you put nutrients down deep I, i mean that's what i would do That's what we've done on our farm for like 20 years. Whenever we use strip till, we've placed fertilizer deep because if you do soil tests on your farm, just from the way it sounds, most of your fertility is probably in the top three inches. So if there's any way to get it down a little bit deeper, that would be a good thing. Now, I I realize, yes, you could do full scale tillage if you want to, and that's the way to get it down deeper. And yeah, that probably would be a little bit of benefit most years. But the other side of it, if you don't want to do all that tillage, is just do one pass in the fall with, or it could be in the spring too, with strip till and place the fertilizer a little bit deeper.
0: Yep, I agree. I I really like the strip till, and I like putting fertilizer down like that, and uh, yes, depending on what your crop rotation is, if you've got small grains in there, that's always the question, Brian, of, man, if I'm building my levels in strips, is that going to show up in the small grains? If you're doing significant builds in the strips, you will notice some difference in the small grains, but if you move those strips around, you can plant it out, so over a two- or three-year rotation, you can get that all straightened out and and still have high enough levels that you're not going to notice. The, the the big difference from one strip to the next.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, especially if you're broadcasting some of the mobile nutrients in the soil, like nitrogen, sulfur, boron. Um, the, it, the P and K, they just don't move very well in soil. And they also, like for phosphorus, it can get tied up somewhat. So by placing them in bands, placing phosphorus in bands, you don't see as much tie up. You're able to get a little bit better uptake. But yeah, strip is great for row crops, just not maybe the greatest for uh, uh, for small grains or some narrow-seeded crop, but you could certainly incorporate that in and then broadcast some when you go to the wheat.
0: All right, thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Hopefully that helps with your little debate there on the farm, and I agree with Brian. Uh, you don't have to switch the whole farm one way or the other. You could do a little bit of both and then see how it plays out. We did a strip-till versus conventional till program for, what was it, 11 years, Brian, before it really changed? Yep. Yeah, so we we did a long term program. Yeah. All right, I got this one in from Steven. He said you guys were talking about tillage. You never mentioned recreational tillage. It seems to be a real thing, especially with some of the older farmers. You know, we do talk about that from time to time, Steven, that sometimes there's no purpose behind having the tillage out there. So if you're out doing some tillage on your farm, you got to ask yourself, what am I accomplishing here? Is it taking my farm forward or am I just finding a way to, to, to keep busy on the farm? Definitely don't want that. Uh, Derek commented he said uh, you, I agree with most of what you guys say about 99% of the time and I'm generally finding something pretty useful listening to your program thanks Derek we appreciate the comment uh, Got this one in from Chuck he said you guys are talking silage more often uh, love that co- love you guys talking about silage how do you determine your silage yields and also how do you come up with the price per ton do you go buy a price per bushel and work from there and finally, do you use silage insurance appraisals instead as a way to get the bushels or check strips?
1: Uh, we have done that. We really prefer yield check strips. That's the best. We've sold it by the ton. I don't like that because I don't feel that's accurate enough. Uh, so for us, we want to make sure we're getting an appropriate amount of money based on our yield. So that that's the big thing. That's the direction that I would go. And we do have tonnage monitors, so just like a yield map, we have a tonnage map too with the machine that's getting used to harvest the silage.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of new technology in silage that's making, is making it really exciting. I was just meeting with a group of folks this morning, and this was their discussion. They're from the southeast part of the United States talking about how do we get more nutrition into each ton of silage to, to provide more benefit at the dairy and hopefully make more money on the farm as well cool topic. We'll, we'll discuss more about that going forward for sure. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.